So last week, we defined finding common ground as learning to interact with, converse with, and even enjoy folks with whom you disagree at a fundamental level. I'm going to do that one more time. We defined finding common ground as this, learning to converse with, interact with, and even enjoy folks with whom you disagree at a fundamental level. And we said that finding common ground is a Christ-like, biblical, and valuable quality for four reasons. One, finding common ground opens up space for gospel conversation. Two, finding common ground makes you a better person. Three, finding common ground recognizes the image of God in the other. And four, Finding common ground is what Jesus would do. And I think it bears repeating that these couple of chapters that we're looking at, John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, Jesus has interactions with folks, not individuals with whom he shares very little in common, but he has interactions with folks with whom he disagreed at a fundamental level. The divide between Jesus and his conversation partner in John 3, and his conversation partner in John 4, is vast. First, there's Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And remember, we just learned in our Roman series that Pharisees were so Jewish that they even persecuted fellow Jews. It wasn't like they were persecuting non-Jews, they were persecuting fellow Jews. They were persecuting people who weren't Jewish enough. That's like me showing up to a pastor's or superior conference and people saying, do you believe we're superior? Yes. Do you believe we're the best? Yes. Do you believe we're well-dressed? I don't know about that. Okay, then scram. You're not welcome here. I mean, I wouldn't say any of those things, by the way. The point is a Pharisee would. A Pharisee was mostly concerned about making religious people more religious, more superior, more pure. As a result, they looked down on and persecuted even their own kind. Listen, this is so antithetical to the message of Jesus, it's not even funny. Samaritans, like the one Jesus interacts with in John chapter 4, we don't even have time to tell that whole story. Suffice it to say that Jews saw Samaritans as half-breed traitors. So do you think you disagree with a Trump supporter? Do you think you disagree with a pro-choicer or an anti-vaxxer or with an individual who, who holds the opposing view of any of those views? Your disagreement with that individual pales in comparison. Your rift that you have with that individual pales in comparison to the rift and disagreement represented in John chapter three and in John chapter four. And yet, Jesus finds common ground. And how did he do it? Well, we mentioned two things last week. First, Jesus met people on their turf and on their terms. With Nicodemus, he met him at night. Even though Nicodemus was kind of ashamed and afraid, embarrassed to talk to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Nicodemus, you got to meet me during the daytime, pal. No, he met with Nicodemus at night at Nicodemus' request. In the case of the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus met with her at midday at a place to draw water. Even though most people would draw water in the morning, this woman is drawing water at midday in order to avoid crowds and avoid people. She's also in Samaria, a place where many Jews would not be at all. And Jesus meets her 
on her turf and on her terms. Second, Jesus found common ground by asking questions. We talked about the fact that in over half of the conversations Jesus has in the four gospels, he's asking questions. And in so doing, he finds common ground with folks he disagrees with at a fundamental level. So let's return, shall we, to those two conversations in John chapter three and in John chapter four, and see if we can glean just a few more skills we can learn from Jesus to find common ground with folks with whom we disagree at a fundamental level. Essentially, we're asking the question, W-E-W-J-D, what else would Jesus do? So here's what we learn, ready? First thing is this, start the conversation. In order to find common ground, I would encourage you, and if we look at the model that we have in Christ, we need to learn to start the conversation with folks with whom we disagree. Check out John chapter four, verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, Jesus is not being demanding here. He's initiating a conversation with someone who is drastically different from him. Here's my question. When is the last time that you deliberately initiated a conversation with someone that is drastically different from you? You're an upper middle class conservative male. You're older. When is the last time you initiated a conversation with a black woman in her 20s that has been marching at BLM rallies? You're, you're a mom in her 40s who believes that too many vaccines are bad for kids. When's the last time you initiated a conversation with an Indian man in his 70s whose entire family was saved because of the polio vaccine? You're a first-generation immigrant who just can't understand the concept of gender non-binary. When is the last time you talked to a young adult who feels uncomfortable in their own skin? And on and on it goes. <laughs> and I'm not saying that your view will be changed. I'm not saying that their view is right or wrong for that matter. All I'm saying is that Jesus initiated conversation. He started the conversation with folks that disagreed with him about the fundamental issues that mattered most. Listen very, very close. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus initiated, started, catalyzed, walked into, deliberately pursued conversations with folks who disagreed with him about the deepest, most fundamental, most important issues of his day. Wow. If we could just learn from that as followers of Jesus. So first, start the conversation. Two, find the why. Not the what or the how, but the why. If you're jotting down notes, find the why. Let me define those terms. Why, we're hungry. What, we want pizza. How, we're gonna order it. See, the how is the baseline kind of point of a conversation, and the what is elevated just a little bit, and the why is elevated just a little bit more. I want you to watch Jesus find the why that he has in common with this woman at the well in John chapter four. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What is she talking about? She's talking about the how we worship. This mountain or that mountain. That's where she's living. Now watch Jesus elevate the conversation to the why. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the why. Why? We may disagree on the how, whether to worship on this mountain or that mountain, but we agree on the why we should worship. That is to say that there is a God who is seeking worshipers. You see how he found common ground there with this woman. Even though they were from opposite ends of the spectrum, ethnically, culturally, religiously, spiritually, gender, in every way they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. And yet Jesus, when he elevates the conversation and gets out of the how, bypasses the what and goes immediately to the why. He finds common ground with her. Now, let's say we were to apply this principle to a conversation about healthcare, because I hear people arguing about this all the time. You know, the Canadian system is better. You tax people and give everybody the same free, affordable, or free healthcare, whatever it is. Or the U.S. system is better, privatized. That's what we should go to, and that's where we should head. See, you're talking about the how, aren't you? But imagine in a conversation like that, that's maybe even getting a little bit heated and people disagree as to how to deliver healthcare. What if you elevated it to the why and took a cue from Jesus and said something like this? You know what? It sounds like we do agree on one thing. Well, what's that? We agree that people matter and that it's important to deliver folks quality, accessible and affordable healthcare because everybody should get quality care. Would you agree with that? Or is that an accurate statement? You see, we left the how and we went up to the why. Take a cue from Jesus and find the why. Most people talk about the how. Smart people talk about the what. The best people find their way to the why. Number three, answer gently. Answer gently. Let's watch Jesus do it in both of these conversations. John chapter 3, verse 2. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. Now, if I were Jesus, if I were the Son of God, what would I say? Nick, look, God is not with me. I am God. That's why I'm able to do these things. So bow down. That's what I would say. But that's not Jesus. Listen, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See how gentle the Savior is. He does the same thing in John chapter four. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, what would I say? If that were the Son of God, of course I'm greater than Jacob. Jacob actually pointed forward to me, not the other way around. Look, that's not Jesus. Look how he answers gently. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you hear the gentleness? Do you hear the tenderness in Jesus' response? Rather than a rebuttal or a rebuke or a that's not true or a, I see it differently, even though he knew all the answers and even though uh, the things that Nicodemus was saying or the things that this woman was saying in John chapter 4 were based on false assumptions, Jesus does not immediately correct or rebuke and say, actually, he answers gently. That's why Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I was in a preaching uh, training this week with a friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about something I do in my preaching prep. Well, <laughs> better said, something I fail to do in my preaching prep. And this is really one of the best public speaking coaches in North America. He's a fantastic human being, Christian guy, and has helped me and our team develop in their public speaking and preaching skills. And I said to him, look, I don't do this thing. Is that bad or wrong? And he could have said, Yes, that's bad. Yes, that's wrong. But he didn't. You know, you know what he said to me? He said, I would suggest that method is not giving you the best chance to be your best. You hear how gentle that response is? And you might say, Luke, that's just a preaching thing. That's just, you're just learning how to preach. Do you know how much preaching matters to me? Do you know how much I love it, how much I value it, and how hard I work? And if he would have come back with a rebuke or a strong answer, it would have cut me to the core. But instead, he answered gently because he's walking in the way of Jesus. So that's number three, answer gently. Number four, empathy is not endorsement. Whoo, boy. Write this down because we're going to unpack it. This is rich. Listen to me. Empathy is not endorsement. Somewhere, somehow, some way, we have fooled ourselves in the church into believing that we cannot empathize with someone because we cannot endorse their lifestyle. And that's horse hockey. If you know Jesus at all, at all, you know that he would not endorse Phariseeism, John chapter 3. He would not endorse this woman's lifestyle, John chapter 4. But even though Jesus did not endorse, watch him empathize. Jesus begins to un unveil and unravel some spiritual truths for Nicodemus. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not yet understand these things? And now this response from Jesus is not, Nicodemus, why are you so stupid? Or Nicodemus, why don't you get it yet? That's not what Jesus is saying. This is Jesus' heart going out to a man who is misguided and really wants to know the truth. This is Jesus saying, oh, Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't get it yet. My heart goes out to you. Do you hear the empathy? He does the same thing in John chapter 4. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman came to Jesus and said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We've already talked about that. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you hear the empathy? He knows this woman is longing for something. 
something eternal, something deeper, something real. And if you know the story, Jesus doesn't mince word. He's, he mince words. He definitely does not endorse this woman's lifestyle, but he empathizes with her pain. Friends, in the church, we have pitted acceptance and affirmation against one another as if they're opposites. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in our misunderstanding of those concepts, we have synonymized, although that's probably not a word, but synonymized empathy and endorsement. And we have concluded that because they're synonyms, we cannot empathize without endorsing. And that's not true. Friends, those words mean different things. Endorsement and empathy are different things. And that means you can do one and not the other. You can empathize without endorsing. Jesus did it. You can too. Finally, here's the fifth skill that we learn from Jesus in order to find common ground with people we disagree with at a very fundamental level. I would just say this. Start and end with grace. Start and end with grace. You know, grace simply defined is just undeserved favor. Did Nicodemus deserve Jesus' time? Did this woman deserve Jesus' patience? Did either of them deserve him at all? No. But did he give and sacrifice? and serve, and put self aside in order to find common ground? Of course he did. You know what that is? That's grace. Remember, there is not a single person, not one that you will ever lock eyes with that does not matter deeply to God. Think about that. Every conversation, every child, every sibling, Every friend, every barista, every service provider, every single one, every politician. God loves that person so deeply and completely that if it was just that one person, God would have sent his own son to die in their place because he loves them unconditionally and completely. You will never, ever, ever Lock eyes with someone who does not matter to God. So in those conversations, start and end with grace. Here's what I want for you as your pastor, and I'm only that for a couple more weeks, but as your pastor, I want the fractured relationships in your life to find healing. I want the relationships that are on the edge of dissolution to find resolution. I want you to think of that wayward son or daughter, that cold sibling, that angry parent or whatever it is and believe that God has shown us in Christ how we can find common ground with those we disagree with most. One more tip and I'll be done. You might be thinking, Luke, this is all well and good, but you don't know my fill-in-the-blank. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my friend. You don't know my parent. You don't know my dad. You don't know my... Mm. 
You don't know how angry they are, how stubborn they are, how passive aggressive they are. There is no way I can find common ground with that person. No way, not a snowball's chance, as they say. So here's my encouragement. Start there. Start there. Start with that one person of whom you would think, no way, and then walk in the way of Jesus. Find common ground, and then watch what God might do.